Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Claudia Walder, editor of Able, the magazine that provides a platform for people with a wide spectrum of disabilities and chronic illnesses. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know a common theme is people coming up against adversity and finding their way around the difficulties to produce a print magazine. But I don't think I've spoken to anyone who has overcome quite as much as Claudia has. As she explains, she was diagnosed with ME when she was just 23 years old. And she speaks about the frustration and shame that she felt at having to stop work and become a disabled person. And also the revelation that made her want to turn that around and create this bold, confident magazine that communicates a wide range of disabled people's experiences. I love it when a magazine can show me the world from a completely fresh perspective and Abel does a brilliant job of that. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode with Claudia from Abel. And if you want to see it for yourself, head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop to pick up a copy of Abel while we still have some in stock. Hey Claudia, thanks so much for coming over. Thank you for having me. So you are the woman behind this pretty extraordinary magazine, Able, uh, which is a, a magazine that um, I think seeks to redress the balance on a lot of issues around disability. Could you start by telling us a bit about where this magazine first came from? Yeah, um, so I got diagnosed with a condition called uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, ME which stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis, um, in 2017. And I'd been ill for, like, you know, months prior to this diagnosis, which I came to more or less on my own. Um, But I was having all sorts of weird symptoms and going to the doctor and not really understanding where things were coming from. And um, once I did get diagnosed, it sort of felt like no one cared because I think... With certain chronic illnesses, there's a lot of stigma around them and misinformation and, you know, people can have friends that have one experience of it and then they think that kind of applies to everyone and things like that. Um, But my life was just falling apart, basically. Um, I used to work as a fashion stylist. I studied fashion journalism at university and went straight into styling freelance um so I very much had to stop working completely I couldn't get out of bed um and you know weeks were turning into months and I just felt a little bit like I was losing my mind because I just you know the doctors I was 23 at the time and pretty much the first thing they say to you is like sorry we can't help you um and it almost cut you off there to the point where you're like hold on I've grown up thinking that the NHS is like this amazing thing, like you get healthcare on it. How lucky are we? Um, but unfortunately, if you have certain diagnoses, um, since 2017, I've also been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Um, the MECFS is chronic fatigue, but it's the type of fatigue where it affects all of your cells and all of your bodily systems. So your hormones become unbalanced, um, pain signals and things, neurological aspects. Cognitive symptoms, I have short-term memory loss, I have occasionally struggle struggle with communication, um, and, you know, you can barely pick up, 
like a cup let alone go out and do a day's work so it was really significant um and very quickly i felt like super isolated i felt like i'd come from this world that's all about like the show and looking your best and working you know with cool people doing cool things and like i couldn't dress myself <laughs> like how was i going to translate that back into you know or not like feel shame basically about what i was experiencing um and i just like it was like a light bulb moment one day where i was like if i feel ashamed of me then i must feel ashamed of my mum and my mum's had parkinsons for at least a decade so i just thought you know fuck that i'm not <laughs> definitely i'm not ashamed of my mum like my mum is such a role model to me the way that um you know i don't want to say her she doesn't let her condition affect her but she's got a lot a lot more strings to her bow you know and i think there's a tendency to reduce disabled people to their physical or mental limitation and it's just pure bullshit like that's what i wanted to address <laughs> okay so i mean you 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 found yourself in a very very difficult position that doesn't then naturally lead to i know what i'm going to do i'm going to make a magazine about all of this because the like that surely is taking on a whole load more stress and difficulty so what led you down that path so it's very cliche but at the time i felt like i was going through a transformation like body and soul because i was just waking up to all of these um i guess examples of ableism which is discrimination directed towards disabled people and um it was starting to really really bother me and i felt like i don't want to be hiding this and i don't know how to move forward with my life if i can't address it openly um i'm quite an open person so for me it's sort of like what you see is what you get and i knew i would really struggle if i was going to keep it to myself um you know and and naturally the the support around me dwindled a little bit because people just don't know what to do they feel uncomfortable like a lot of people feel very uncomfortable around illness especially long term so i needed to expand my own community basically and try and get in touch with people who sort of understood what it was like and what people like myself were facing on a daily basis um so yeah and i'd i'd done fashion journalism we'd made magazines and i've worked on zines i've done a lot of editorials for other magazines but i'd always thought like you know frankly i don't pick up magazines like if it's for free or <laughs> or whatever but when you get used to social media and you just kind of absorb content online it and and they can be expensive you know it is a luxury to to afford magazines and buy them on a regular basis but for this it was just like i lo- i got back into writing uh, and it was something that i found myself enjoying a lot and knowing that i could produce fashion shoots quite easily um why not sort of give it a go and i didn't know how big it was going to be so by the time it came to printing this like beautiful publication i was shocked at how much it <laughs> was going to cost um and i yeah i just sort of went a bit above and beyond i think than what i could have done because i really wanted something that other disabled people could be proud of and i think that's one of the things that a print magazine can do very well compared to say social media 
is create this kind of prestige. The, you know, the fact that you have bothered to make this into a print magazine and you have somehow found the money to pay for printing it as a really lovely, glossy publication just sort of carries some value with it that wouldn't necessarily be there if this were on Instagram, say. Yeah, and around the time when I was making the decision about like paper quality and things like that, we, you know, we'd never gone that far in terms of that. I didn't have any experience with that. I didn't really know who to ask, but I felt, I feel like matte covers have very much been a trend over the past like five years or so. Um, but I, I just, from the moment I knew I was going to get printed, I was like, I want it to be glossy because, you know, the, the themes and, um, disability chronic illness mental health no one really elevates that to a level where actually you're not going to be ashamed of it or like you know read it by the toilet or or whatever you know I mean I feel like mental health in particular has been given a lot more of a platform in recent years but no like there's there's a lot of horrible uh, assumptions and stereotypes around disability and I just wanted to smash them all to pieces really. Well, congratulations. I think you did did a pretty good job of it. I I found the magazine like genuinely uh, quite revelatory. uh, I think because you're giving a platform to disabled people and with very many different forms of disability, there are perspectives that come through that I genuinely haven't seen elsewhere. You you have this lovely uh, line about disability isn't an elite club. And, and you develop that in your editor's letter with this, you know, people tend to think of disability maybe in the shorthand of like someone in a wheelchair, say, mm-hmm. but actually it spreads out far, far beyond that. So how did you go about choosing the people who you wanted to have in this magazine as this expression of very many forms of disability? Uh, so I think it took me a while to come to grips with, with the term disabled and Initially, it really bothered me because I felt like just linguistically it it places disability into a negative bracket. Like, you know, if you don't like something, you dislike something, you distrust someone. It's, It's very negative. And I felt like I was having all of these very extreme health problems, but that doesn't change like who I am. It doesn't change what I'm capable of. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, I think pressure on disabled people in the capitalist world that we live in because your pro- productivity equals your worth. Like that's that's how it's to be seen. If you don't work, are you just skiving off the government? You know, what do you do? You're just like a waste of space basically and like we don't really need you here. And people don't think about disabled people. So nowadays when I'm out and about, I'm always looking to see whether I can see even a visibly disabled person because the the world we live in is very inaccessible. Um, but yeah, I felt like I knew a lot of people who had health issues that weren't necessarily considered to be disabled by just the way it, it, it is. The visibility we have of disability tends to be visibly disabled people. So though obviously for me was a, a huge area I wanted to address, which was invisible disability. Um, but I think it's even more complex than that. So I just like to say that disability is a spectrum. 
Um, and it can be it can be a really complex thing to wrap your head around. So I wanted ABLE to be a place where anyone would feel safe to come and learn about disability. You're not going to be excluded because you're not disabled. You might have health problems, but you don't have to identify as disabled. It's a very personal thing. Um, so initially, when I started looking for people to be in the magazine, I sort of asked myself, and was thinking about accessibility in the term of, you know, should I go around to just like hospitals and like start trying <laughs> to talk to people? Should I just sit in my GP's like waiting room and like, you know, should I make flyers? Uh, I started going on forums and like apps that were for people to record their health symptoms and just like leaving a thing about I'm starting this publication. Um, but before I knew it, like the more I was open about it, the more I had people coming to my DMs like on Instagram every day just to say thank you for talking about this stuff. Like, um, And yeah, I started to understand the more my own community grew that actually... Um, most disabled people are very active on social media. It's a way for us to communicate and be close to one another, share advice, whether it's healthcare or, um, you know, welfare and things like that. So I just, yeah, like through mainly through Instagram, I just discovered like so many cool people and people that were doing really interesting creative things that like me, they were inspired by their own sort of disability and it, it created, I think that's one thing I was quite scared about with the content was like, is anyone going to get this? Because I'm just asking people <laughs> about their health, really. Like, we're not necessarily promoting an, like content that people readily absorb or think of as something that you would read in a magazine. Like, you know, maybe you'd read it on like Mumsnet or some sort of forum. But this is a bit more like, actually I don't care whether you work I don't care like what what you do in your spare time how you feel and how you exist what your lived experiences are are interesting to me and I think maybe other people can learn from it mm -hmm. so yeah it did stem from quite an educational um desire that I had uh but yeah with 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 the combination of printed word and imagery I think we struck quite a nice balance between the, the representation that we have of disability but also you know what people look like and what people's experiences are. And you've also um, pulled together uh, a group of people who they tend towards being younger they tend towards being involved in creative kind of activities they're, they're essentially it's, it's the sort of people who you would see in like a youth culture or fashion magazine yeah. brackets they all have some form of disability yeah exactly and like they're not in other things like they're not being used in campaigns this this year and last year in particular was quite like um a key moment i think in terms of diversity and people understanding that actually disability is part of diversity it, like it's not just about um it can be problematic to say this but it's not just about skin color it's not just about size it's not just about whether you've got freckles or not and having worked in the fashion industry i know how like that type of imagery works i know how casting works and i know why people choose certain people and it, and it is to tick a box like you know there's a lot of designers who are obviously still using mainly white models but it's not like people aren't picking up on it and like making a, a conscious choice about whether they support that brand and things like that 
so yeah um including disability and centering it in like this is what actual real representation can look like and this is what real diversity is but you guys are actually secretly ableist like (laughs) everyone is like we live in a really ableist society and frankly like people that have disabilities have been very much like pushed away from society and excluded and I, I think I wrote about you know discrimination isn't just like shouting at a disabled person a slur or an insult it's it's like omitting their experiences siphoning them off from society mm-hmm. stopping them being able to come together mm-hmm. and that's something that social media has been really powerful for a lot of me and my peers that actually we feel really strong now as a as a group with an identity um i've got like some friends who are artists in new york and they did a, an exhibition there and one of the posters they made, it said, um, an army of the sick c- cannot be defeated. So, like, I do think that a lot of us um, are finally saying, like, no, actually, like, I'm not going to be ashamed of this. I'm not going to be um, treated like less than mm. just because, you know, I might have a walking stick or a wheelchair. Like, that doesn't mean I don't have a brain. I don't have mm. opinions. Mm. I don't have things that I can contribute but yeah, there's a lot of discrimination built into the way that society works that that stop us from reaching our potential, I yeah. think. I, I, also, interestingly, when organisations try to do something to help, there can obviously be unintended consequences. And so the, there's a piece um, about um, TFL, so Transport for London's um, Please Offer Me a Seat Badge. Um, which is uh, apparently so. I live in London. I take the tube quite a bit. I've never heard of this before. <laughs> yeah. the, the, and so it's a badge, um, kind of like the badge that pregnant women wear, which is like you know, please offer me a seat. But for people who have some form of disability, and the the writer talks about how actually you know she took her ages to pluck up the courage to actually wear this badge, and then when she did she felt like she just had a bunch of people judging her of like why do you need to sit down yeah exactly i think a lot of people view disability in this almost like well i can't see it so i don't know if i believe it frankly and like you know are you disabled enough or like are you severely disabled though or are you just trying to like take from other people um and even with like disabled lose there's there's a lot of politics within the disability community and that's something that we try to address as well but there's people for example that are wheelchair users who strongly feel like people you know who aren't disabled shouldn't be using that loo like people need it for a reason but if you're someone with an invisible disability you might have Crohn's disease you might have colostomy bag um, you might have fatigue and, and issues climbing stairs and things like that but people almost want you to have like a tattoo on your forehead telling you like what it is that's wrong with you basically. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily anyone's business, but um, definitely with the please offer me a seat thing, even in the sort of limited campaign of it that I did see, one one of my friends was feeling a bit annoyed by the fact that they used anxiety as an example of why someone you know was using that badge and and they have physical mobility issues and it was like you know it's either cancer or anxiety there is a massive massive amount of conditions that people have and I, I feel bad when I say this but it's it's the same within the NHS if you have cancer 
you will get a good quality of care. If you have chronic illnesses, um, other than diabetes and the more well-known ones, there's just a black hole basically in the NHS where so many of us are getting lost, so many of us are being mistreated. And as, you know, especially with mental health as well, the, the funding just isn't there. And the lack of support I received and continue to receive and, and struggle with is something that you you know you feel a bit of guilt over because the NHS is this incredible thing. Um, it's definitely something that I think we need as as a society and other societies desperately need as well. Like um, obviously in America with Medicare being taken away and insurance companies creating a, like a healthcare for profit type environment. A lot of us are just like dying and it does feel very serious at the same time but you have to and for me personally I have to try and toe this line of being welcoming enough that people are going to be absorbed and interested by the content and not being like sort of too uh too scary you know people people are really scared by these things and uh, if people feel uncomfortable, they just prefer to like look away and, and not really get involved. So you do have to um, understand that you're still battling an a environment that's full of stigma and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's still going to be a very long road for us to sort of achieve the things that we want to achieve. Uh, and I guess that's a big argument for making a magazine, which, as we said before, is glossy and just looks like a fun magazine to open and start reading. Do you have anything in mind that you weren't able to achieve? Is there something that, you know, once you've ticked that box, that will be success for you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've got so many ideas um, for how I would like able to develop. Um, And I think one thing I've feel strongly about is I support companies I support um, you know the consumerism world to promote and include disabled people but it's also very important that it's not just for show and that there is an education behind it where people are not being um, treated poorly exploited you know experiencing really uncomfortable things when they're entering into this other um, thing that everyone else has access to you know it's like people uh, don't understand even about accessibility of a building and how important that can be to to welcoming disabled people into the fold so um, you know the uh, events so many events go on in London how many of them add on their flyer whether there's a disabled loo or whether there's a ramp whether there's stairs I've turned up to things and felt really awful. And at the end of the day, I don't go out to much stuff anymore because um, first you've got to deal with people being like insecure and like not knowing what to say or can I be honest about, you know, everyone wants to know how are you doing? Like what you've been up to? If I'm like, well, <laughs> feel like I'm dying. Every day is a struggle. Like uh, that's genuinely the truth, but people feel weird about it. So you've just got all of these different things that you're having to pack on into like your your daily experience and it can lead to so many like feelings of isolation and stress and discomfort and if people just had awareness 
you know, awareness of some of these things and addressed it so that we weren't also having to do someone else's job half the time. Like, mm. people think that, like, dis disability is a bit of a slack, like, th that you almost take a step back and you can't do as much. You're having to do, like, so many different roles. Uh, you have to think very creatively out of, um, you know... There's people who live in wheelchairs and their own homes aren't adapted to it. So you're constantly having to think of creative routes out of like problem solving, basically. So all of these things I understand make disabled people great mm -hmm. and chronically ill people great. But so it's just really important to me that I share mm. all of the complexities of it, but also make it look not shit. <laughs> <laughs> Aiming for not shit yeah. is a good place to start. So this is the, the first issue. Do you have um, plans for when we're going to see the next issue of Able? Yeah, I'm hoping to start on it soon. One thing that I noticed was just like the eagerness of, uh, fr from our demographic and our readership, a lot of it is actually American and stateside. Um, and knowing that practically 50% of like the readership are from America, I understand that there's a global appeal to what I'm doing. And um, it's something that I wanted to address and be able to, you know, you, there's only a limited number of pages you can print. There's only a limited amount of stories you can do. Um, there's not even that much that I would change in this, but I feel like for cost and things like that, I might have to think about, you know, having le even less pages. So at the moment, um, my priority is trying to establish a web platform for ABLE, um, but also how do you create a completely accessible website <clears throat> when you've got no experience <laughs> and you've got no funding or resources? So yeah, just trying to work through that at the moment. And then hopefully we can have regular submissions and give everyone a voice. Um, and then for the future issues, I hope to have like icons and, you know, where disability icons are developing out of out of social media every day. So um, I think there's a lot we could do. And I know I have targeted this towards more of a youth, youth appeal, uh, youth representation. That was only because you don't see young disabled people like on TV even or like, OK, occasionally in Breaking Bad or um, the odd Marvel, whatever. But that's something I felt like, OK, I need to do this straight away because I don't want other young people feeling isolated and like they've got absolutely no platforms or like places where they can go to feel normal, I think, and, and to feel welcome. But yeah, you know, age and things like that, there's a lot of issues that don't just apply to old people, but also there's a lot of things that we can do to help aging populations and all of that also helps young disabled people. So I think um, like I've been really inspired by Galdem. Galdem were the platform that I first started writing about illness on um, and effectively like came out <laughs> as chronically ill and disabled through them. And they were the only platform I thought I would be able to do that on because like I can't really write about that for a broadsheet. I can't really write about that for Vogue at this point. You know, they haven't reached that level of representation. Um, and I think everyone's slowly moving towards that point. But 
Galdem, you know, it's an amazing platform for the their target audience and the things that they've been able to cross over into, you know, um, editing the Guardian supplement, doing things for Film 4 or Channel 4. Like, I would love to be able to take the knowledge that I'm learning and absorbing and put that across all sorts of cultural mm -hmm. platforms. Well, I'd say that's a pretty solid model for you to be basing yourself on. Um, thank you very much for coming and speaking to us. Well done with this first one and really looking forward to seeing where it goes next. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good week, day. <laughs>Okay, that's all for this week. I'm really sorry about the drilling noise at the end of that episode uh, and also the man who's having a loud meeting in the background. Uh, we record most of these episodes at Makerversity here in Somerset House, which is a brilliantly flexible co-working space, but it is definitely not a recording studio and we do sometimes hear a bit too much of other people's work going on around us. I hope it didn't all distract too much from Claudia and I'd like to thank her again for coming over and speaking to me. Again, if you're interested in seeing Able for yourself, head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop and pick up a copy there and we'll send one straight to you. You may have noticed that our podcast logo changed last week and I'd like to say a quick thanks to James Iredale for his work on that. Good work, James. Uh, he also animated it for us too, so uh, watch out for that popping up on Instagram stories very soon. And of course, thank you very much to you for listening to this episode, and we'll be back with another one next week.